Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. And on this podcast, we review, discuss, and break down shows that we're watching week to week and provide recommendations of related content you might want to discover on your own. In today's episode, I'll be on my own recapping the most recent episode of Barry, an episode called A Nice Meal, and discussing what its implications might be for the finale. Just next week, a finale of the entire series. And before we get into that, if you have not by chance caught up on Barry, this is a truly astonishing series. You should definitely give it a shot. Watch it from the beginning if you haven't already watched it or if you've fallen off on the show. Do catch up with it because this is some of the best writing and filmmaking right now on TV. And so bizarre. Oftentimes, these shows that really try to take a big swing can easily fail. Just this past year, we've had, both on Amazon Prime, by the way, some very interesting experiments, the Dead Ringers series with Rachel Weiss and Donald Glover's produced series, Swarm. Both were very interesting, very experimental, and not fully successful. Barry is doing something very unique and succeeding at it week to week. So do catch up with it if you haven't already done so. And before we get into this episode, I had a announcement and a recommendation for anybody out there who had in the past watched Happy Valley. Happy Valley is a series that got very popular on Netflix as a British series. I think it was when season two was already completed that it premiered on Netflix and my wife and I binged it. And it's just an incredible police procedural with this central performance or really what became two central performances, Sarah Lancaster playing our protagonist, Catherine Haywood, who's a detective in this small English town nicknamed Happy Valley, where most people are not really happy. A pretty underclass neighborhood, beautiful, by the way, it's become a tourist attraction, something we don't have here in the United States, these ancient towns that have been inhabited for centuries. This is a lower income community, and there are the expected social ills here of unemployment, of gang violence, of drug addiction. And her main antagonist is Tommy Lee Royce, played by James Norton, a younger man that she blames for a tragedy in her life, which I won't spoil here if you haven't caught up on that show. And the relationship between these two characters is really incredible. And the main reason to watch this show, which can be pretty shaggy in its execution, is Catherine, this character of Catherine, who is so flawed, she is her own worst enemy oftentimes, but always relatable and sympathetic. And Sarah Lancashire here playing Catherine is just incredible, as is James Norton playing Tommy Lee Royce. So this show, as I mentioned, premiered in the mid-2010s. Actually, now that I'm checking it out, it's all the way back in 2014. Season two was probably around 2016, if I remember correctly. This is around the time we watched it. And now we have waited seven years, seven years for this third and final season. And we catch up with our protagonist once again. Many of you may have seen this show years ago and have forgotten about it. It is no longer available on Netflix, unfortunately. However, it is available on BBC America, on Acorn, and on AMC+. I know many of you out there may be AMC Plus subscribers, and maybe even many more of you have a BBC America subscription through your cable provider. I, for example, have changed cable providers multiple times and oftentimes have BBC America and wasn't even aware of it until I was trying to stream something that is available from BBC America. And also, as I mentioned, available through Acorn TV. If you have any of those subscriptions, you can now start checking out the show. It is 
just starting to stream now and is going week to week. And it's a relatively short season, I think only six episodes. So you may want to wait until the end of the month, until all the episodes are available, and then binge them all with a seven-day subscription to one of these services, which are free, by the way. But I did want to call this out because this has been an inspiration for, for example, Mayor of Easttown, one of our first very popular recap shows here on the podcast, inspired directly by this show, Happy Valley, and now has returned. And I've seen the whole entire thing. I've seen it using a VPN and the BBC app. You, If you know how to change your location via VPN, maybe I'll get a VPN sponsor <laughs> to, um, so I can monetize some of these recommendations. But all three seasons of the show are available through BBC, the iPlayer, the internet video streamer, if you are a British resident or if you have a VPN. So I have seen the entire series and I do recommend it. The performances continue to be terrific. The central story is riveting this relationship between these two characters and the way they are inextricably bonded to each other, given this tragedy and then more than that even, which I won't go into once again to avoid spoilers. For all of you who have seen the show, I will be vague as possible on this. I find it very strange that we spend a great deal of time on this particular season of show developing another subset of characters, a crime and then murder mystery that develops there and then is resolved off screen with just a, a yada, yada, yada hand wave. Very strange to invest so much time with these characters and then have such an unsatisfying payoff to that. They could have just put an additional 15 minutes on the finale episode and given it a proper send off. If you've seen the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Aside from that, there is just this incredible confrontation between our protagonist and our antagonist, as you would hope to see given their history together, and it does not disappoint. So if you have those streaming services, do watch it week to week. If you don't, and you were a fan of the show back in the day, wait for it all to become available within the next month or so, and then get a free week to any one of those subscribers and check it all out. If you do want to watch the whole entire thing, probably the most cost-effective thing you can do is pay for one month of Acorn TV, which is just a streaming service for British television. And I think it costs about $5 for one month. So pay for a month of it, binge the whole show, and then you could always deactivate that if there's nothing else there for you to watch. And of course, check out your libraries for the earlier seasons, either physically or check your streaming services like Hoopla or Canopy often have British shows available to stream for free if you have a library membership. So that's Happy Valley, a confused <laughs> recommendation considering how how strange its release has been, available already in the UK and now just coming to the US via these secondary streaming services. But like I mentioned, BBC America, many people have this as part of their cable package, don't even know it. If you do, you should have all of this available to you. So check it out. So let's get into Barry, season four, episode seven. Just one episode to go, everybody, by the way. A nice meal. As the episode begins, we see this desert scape once again. We hear Barry praying, praying for strength, praying for courage, and praying for the safety of his family. Not only do we see this desert sunset or sunrise, hard to tell, we see this beach again, the same beach we saw last season where Barry was confronted with all the people he's killed. He also sees John with this red, deep red curtain behind him. Yet another reference to Twin Peaks in this season of recaps for us. We just saw a reference to Twin Peaks in the Red Room in our Yellow Jackets recaps. Barry says, why can't I feel my arms and my legs. 
we hear Jim Moss's voice. He says he's taken away, he's cut off his arms and legs. He wants to show him this. This is where we see what's actually happening. It's Barry in Jim's garage. His arms and legs are restrained. This is why he thinks he doesn't have arms and legs. He has an IV, I guess, to make sure his fluids are okay. He's got blackout goggles on, and I assume he's been doped up with psychedelics or some other kind of chemicals to have him hallucinate his worst nightmares. I'm sure at the coaxing of Jim. In Barry's drug haze, he actually starts to see Gene. He apologizes to him. I was trying to fix things. And he mentions giving him the $250,000. He was about to go into some kind of physical torture at this point, <laughs> picking his favorite torture implement when this $250,000 makes his ears perk up. Jim looks at all his notes. This might have been the reporter's notes for that Vanity Fair article. And another mention of the $250,000. In parallel, we see that Gene is still troubled by this movie that's being made about Barry and himself sensationalizing the tragedy of his girlfriend's death, Jim's daughter. He has a website and Tom, his agent, is there with him. And Tom is seeing a very pragmatic version of this going like, this is interesting. This could be a good play for you. Playing the nice guy, trying to do the noble thing is actually raising your profile. Gene keeps ignoring these suggestions that Tom makes that he's doing this for his own gain and seems at this moment to legitimately have turned his back on this dream of being famous, but he will be dearly tempted this episode. Also in parallel, Noho Hank has hired four of the toughest killers to go and take out Fuchs and his gang. The Raven has holed up in his most luxurious home and has not left, even though he said, hey, the deal's off, you guys have to go. They're still there. And Hank is still annoyed by the conversation they had in last week's episode and wants them out. He's hired the four ultimate badass killers the Fubox. Yes, those guys are real. All of Hank's dialogue here is hilarious. Francisco Boya. Wow. Weapons expert. Used to run missions for the Clatine cartel. This is nice. Prefers to use a knife because he likes to be close to his victims. Yes, sold. Add to cart. Konstantin Persky. Explosions. Feel free to blow up cars. Fuchs, obviously, right? That'd be hilarious. Fuchs with dynamite tied to him. Like the Wiley Coyote. Exactly. <laughs> Next. Todd Gear, ex-Special Forces. Responsible for leading six coups. More like four and a half. Okay, don't downplay your accomplishments. That's still a shitload of coups, Todd. Uh, yes, please. Isaiah Renson. Oh, he can get it. Sharpshooter. Of course he is. 500 confirmed kills. Like that 501. So these assassins, supposedly the best in the world, are going to go exterminate Fuchs and his men. Gene, meanwhile, gets a call from an agent, Matt Iserson, from UTA, supposedly. He's representing his client, Daniel Day-Lewis. He wants to come out of retirement and play Gene Cousinow. Henry Winkler, so great on this show, <laughs> really is struggling. He's struggling here to not give into temptation. Daniel Day-Lewis, playing him in a movie, he gives into temptation, tells him he will meet him that day, but not in public, not at Toscana. He'll send him a location via text. Immediately after ending that call, he gets a call from Sally. As I speculated last week, she has arrived in Los Angeles. Looking for Barry, she probably cannot tolerate being with John, not only because she's not very good at spending time with her child and being confronted with the reality of her situation. As we saw last week, she is constantly terrified of something happening to her son, of something happening to her with this half-hallucinated, maybe fully-hallucinated home invasion. 
if we need to know that these characters have not been able to change their stripes, Jean gets this call, seems very concerned for her. He thought he was, she was dead. Thank God she's still alive. She says, I'm at the airport. I got here. I need help. Can you help me? But he just made that appointment. He wants to know how juicy that deal will be. You would think he could say, if you're so desperate to meet with me about the movie deal, I can delay it by hours or a day, considering that Sally has re-emerged, someone he thought might be dead at this point, asking for help. But no, he tells her, he will help. He's kind of a half measure here, but you have to come to my house, which she does remember where he lives. John is freaked out, but what else can he do? Follows along with his mother's instructions. Hank, meanwhile, gets a special delivery, four boxes, <laughs> soaked through with blood. Once again, what a great performance here by Anthony Carrigan playing Hank. As soon as he sees the boxes, he knows their heads, <laughs> but he keeps opening them. He doesn't know why. It's a head. I can uh, find a couple more fubox. Fubox don't just grow out of the ground like mint, okay? It's another head. I will go alone and... Uh... Avenge the foo box for... Oh, yeah, you're going to go on a suicide mission, Val, huh? Listen, I need you, okay? You're my support system. Why am I still opening these? Oh, thank God. Oh, Isaiah! Even in death, just an absolute fox. <laughs> Even in death, an absolute fox. This is where we catch up with the aftermath of the beheadings <laughs> at Fuchs' compound. Some of his men are cleaning up the bloodbath poolside. His new love and her daughter are traumatized by what they've just witnessed. Fuchs decides that in the future, they need to have a plan. They argue about the fact the plan probably wouldn't have worked anyway, considering that they got blindsided by this attack. But they should still have a contingency. Where should they take the ladies? Maybe out for a nice meal. And by the time they come back, everything is all cleaned up. And the gang starts to argue about whether that is truly the best plan of course of action. Maybe they can put on a Fast and Furious movie. Those are really loud and can potentially drown out, drown out someone being beheaded. This supposed agent goes to meet with Gene, a secluded walkway at a local park. This is all very cloak and dagger, pretty funny. Gene's has an umbrella <laughs> while this guy is pretending to talk on his phone while they have this conversation. Definitely something that someone would come up with if they've seen a lot of movies. This still isn't enough to get Gene to fully come to the dark side. But then they mention that they have someone who wants to play Barry, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> this is the thing. Apparently, Gene's a big Mark Wahlberg fan, maybe even more so than Daniel Day-Lewis. This is the thing that makes him spring up, and he starts having that direct conversation. Very excited that a movie with Daniel Day-Lewis and Mark Wahlberg, he can't turn that down. There is a problem, though. Mark Wahlberg will not play a cop killer. Gene starts to backtrack. Well, you know, he's a complicated figure. Barry's maybe not all bad. He was looking for a father figure. That's why he gravitated to me. All of this starts to make Barry a little more sympathetic, but much worse, it makes Gene much more central to this story. Now he starts to really push things. It's just the tip of the iceberg. You don't know all the details. And they said, we need to talk this out with Daniel, but not here. It has to be at a hotel. Gene agrees. In a season of TV that has not been that hilariously funny, even where there is comedy, it's pretty dark stuff, like serving vodka secretly to your child. This episode has quite a few comic highlights mostly around Hank. And we get another one. Hank decides to go and blow up the house where Fuchs is holed up. And he's there with one of his henchmen. They shoot a rocket and they just miss. Hank's like, oh, so close. Load up another one. But of course, his henchmen only brought one rocket. You told me in the past that I should be budget conscious. So I only brought one. <laughs> 
while they're arguing about this, the people at the house have noticed this rocket that just nearly grazed the building. They spot them and start to shoot. <laughs> little by little, you hear there's like just a couple of gunshots and then you hear automatic weapon fire. Hank and his associate are desperately trying to get out of there. They don't get far, abandon the car, probably not their best choice, in a pretty open spot, <laughs> but do apparently escape on foot. Now, in this show full of very unbelievable <laughs> events, the most unbelievable thing that happens to in this show, in my opinion, is the fact that Jim left Barry, took him off that IV drip, should have at least drugged him or something. When he finally has cleared his head of these drugs, Barry comes to, hears a football game on, assumes there's someone in the house. He's able to get out of his restraints, pick the lock in the garage, and sneak into the house, assuming that he would want to go and kill Jim. While he picks the lock, he cut his hand, and he's sneaking through the house trying to see if he can find Jim and also tending to this wound in his hand. And then he passes out. <laughs> I don't understand this. Is this from blood loss that he collapses here, or is it from the sight of his own blood? He obviously does not have an issue. People do pass out from the sight of blood, by the way. But he does not have a problem seeing other people's blood. He's seen that many times before. He didn't even flinch at all looking at those gunshot photographs in an earlier episode this season. And yet confronted with a cut on his palm, he passes out. It's just now in recording the recap that I had these question marks. Decision, why would they make this weird decision to suddenly make Barry squeamish about blood? How could Jim have just left him there where he could easily have escaped? And then I also think about what I said in last week's recap, that my expectation was that Jim was going to reprogram him in some way, leave him open, make him easy prey for these people who are trying to kill him. And I just simply did not connect the dots until right now. I am pretty sure that Barry was not squeamish about blood until now. This is the reprogramming that Jim has done. Violence or the sight of blood weakens him. And if that's the case, then he indeed is walking into a trap that Jim has masterminded in a way. And I think that is the hook for next week for the finale. Back in the world of Hank, he did survive the shooting, not his driver, however, found his way to a local home with a kindly old woman has called his friend for him. His right-hand man comes to reclaim him. Hank is no longer wanting to get revenge on Fuchs. Instead, his new plan is to give Fuchs whatever he wants. And of course, we know from the 45 times he's mentioned it so far this season, that Fuchs wants Barry. Sally has arrived at Jean's house with John in tow. Sally starts to panic. Honestly, what is she doing here? She reaches out to Jean to see if he's still alive. Of course, Barry has come here to kill him. She's also come to Los Angeles because she is terrified without Barry there to protect her and trapped by her own decisions. So she wants to potentially reunite with Barry. She wants to potentially warn Jean. That seems to be part of her motivation for sure. These things are at cross purposes. And I think at this moment, she starts to reflect as she talks to John that Jean's going to help her. Help her do what? What is in store for her in the future? She can somehow protect Jean. Will Barry stop? If she goes back with Barry, what is her life going to look like? More of the misery she's been suffering through already. And then suddenly she thinks, well, just maybe she should turn herself in or at least seek the help of a police officer. And there just happens to be a police officer just up the street. As she approaches the police officer, he takes off his sunglasses. He's confused by the words she's saying. She sounds like she's turning herself in. She wants some help. 
He's saying, what exactly do you need? How can I help you? And of course, this is the actor here is the same actor who played that motorcyclist assassin from last season that she killed. This has been eight years now, but apparently this is still weighing on her heavily. And she has hallucinated about this last week. And here we have her hallucinating yet again this week. And she freezes, can't say anything, and finally just backs away and says, never mind. And he gets into the car and drives away. And she misses her opportunity to perhaps rescue herself from what is about to happen. And what that is, is some of Hank's men, the Chechens, coming to abduct John and Sally. I assume they had the same idea of trying to find Barry to bring to Fuchs, just like Jim last episode. He went to check out Gene's home, assuming that Barry would be there. They don't find Barry, of course, but they find maybe something better. They find Sally and John. Gene arrives at the Four Seasons Hotel, where this agent turns out to be an actor, an actor that actually was one of Gene's students, and he didn't recognize him. That says something yet again about Gene, perhaps. Gene's son is here as well, along with the DA, Jim Moss, and a police officer. And it appears at this moment that they are starting to think that Gene might be the mastermind of this whole thing. This would be a huge misread. Even Jim seems to be somewhat convinced that Gene has been playing him this whole time. You want to tell us why Barry Berkman gave you $250,000, Gene? I never asked for that money. Why'd you neglect to mention it to us? Because no one was paying attention to me when you finally did. Well, I had already spent, like, some of it. You, you have no idea the tension that I was in, the stress I was feeling. He, he threw me in a trunk. Did I you had... shoot your son because he found out his house was paid for with Chechen drug money? Now that is crazy. Leo, come on. You can't believe that. You never could give me a straight answer about the cash. You change your story. Why are you telling everyone that Barry is a sympathetic soul? I would never say something like that. Oh, you told me. Who the fuck are you? Sorry, I'm Brad. I'm an actor. Um, I was actually in your Shakespeare class in 2004. I did a scene from uh, The Merry Wives of Windsor. Detective Moss killed a Chechen gangster at your theater where they found drug money. She was on to you. So you invited her up to your cabin where you had Barry, a guy you claim would do whatever you say, murder her. That's disgusting. And when we found her body, you were there with Barry and a Chechen criminal assassin known as the Raven. He's not even a real person. We know he's real. This is insane. You you know me. What what do you I, I... Gene. You are a great actor. Back at Noho's offices, Noho meets Sally face to face for the first time. Barry simultaneously wakes up from his reaction to his bloody hand. Barry hears his ringtone, which is some kind of Christian rock song. And as he answers the phone, it's Hank calling from Sally's phone. Listen, I'm sorry I haven't gotten back to you. Hey, man. I've got two people here who want to say hi to you. Say hello. Say it. Dad, Barry, please come get us. Help us. I'll text you the address. Come quick if you want to see your family again. Barry takes in this threat from Hank, and he starts to rage out. And the episode ends. So what does this set up for the series finale? Barry obviously headed to Hank's meeting location, as is presumably Fuchs. So I'm very curious as to how they can resolve this show. And honestly, my speculation is probably wrong <laughs> because this show has been nothing but surprising this entire season. But is it possible that Barry could somehow cut a deal, corroborate this theory of Gene 
that he was masterminding this whole entire criminal plot. He runs off into the sunset with Sally under witness protection, what he always wanted. Sally would be miserable if that would be the outcome. Is it possible that Barry dies in the next episode? Sally gets to become famous as a survivor of this crazy killer, supposedly. Gene in prison, taking most of the blame, but famous and with a story of his own. I am very curious to see what is to come. And honestly, I don't think my guesses are right because I think this show is looking to surprise us. And I can't wait. Can't wait to see how it all wraps up. So this is a really eventful week. There will be an episode later this week where I catch you all up on the first four episodes of Silo, and we begin officially our week-to-week coverage of the show Silo, as well as Friday, expect to see an episode where we discuss the season finale of Yellow Jackets, what is sure to be a very eventful episode of television. And then, of course, just a couple of days later, at least one episode, most likely two episodes, discussing the finale of Succession, and of course, also the finale of Barry, another conversation we'll be having here on the podcast, and even more. My mostly negative reaction to Ted Lasso, I'm biting my tongue until we see the finale of that show, but also next week, about a week from now, expect to see an episode where I discuss the finale of Ted Lasso as well, plus other things I've been watching and an announcement about some additional content you may have access to starting in June related to this podcast. All right. Thank you for listening. I will talk to all of you very soon.